Amen. As we consider the family and also the workplace, two uh, common places of everyday submission and authority, we come to our text. Our text this morning is in Colossians chapter 3. And uh, we'll begin uh, with just uh, one verse for context, verse 17. Uh, But then uh, we'll read from 17 of chapter 3 through verse 1 of chapter 4. Our focus being 3.18 to 4 verse 1. And we're especially thinking here about the fifth commandment. This is one of those passages which very... Uh, directly relates to the fifth commandment. We've already read question and answer 104. You may want to keep that open as well as your Bibles. Let us begin our reading at verse 17. Colossians 3, page 1253. And whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we move to the fifth commandment, we come to what is often called the second table of the law. We come to that part of the Ten Commandments, which is especially focused upon our relationship with our fellow man, upon our call to love our neighbor. And so when we come to this, another way to say it is that we're no longer focused on the vertical relationship between God and man where God is the one almighty God so far above us, his creatures. We are now focused on horizontal relationships with our fellow human beings, our fellow image bearers made in the likeness of God. 
But while the human-to-human -human relationship is of a much different kind than that relationship between creator and creature, there are still structures of authority, structures of authority which God has put in place. And two of the most basic authorities outside of the life of the church, and Paul was just speaking about the life of the church earlier in Colossians 3, uh, two, two of the most basic authorities in our everyday life are the authority structure within the home and the authority structure within the workplace. And so the Apostle Paul is addressing the everyday horizontal relationships which include authority and submission because God has ordained it that way, has established it in this way. And so our theme is this this morning, faithfully carry out God's orders for submission and authority. And we're thinking about this in the everyday spheres of the family and the workplace. So first, the family. Paul begins with the family and he begins with wives. Uh, but we are immediately reminded that the authority here is horizontal. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Do you see that indication there that we're dealing with relationships between fellow image bearers, that this is a, a horizontal relationship in, in many ways? This is not the same as the authority of God in any way. There's that qualifier there, as is fitting in the Lord. The language of question and answer 104 uh, puts it this way, submit with proper obedience. Now, when it comes to the first four commandments, we never have anything like this. There is no qualifier. The Word of God does not say, worship God as is fitting in this place or that place. No, all people are to give complete allegiance to God who has absolute authority. All people are called to worship God and God alone. That is vertical authority. It is absolute authority. There's no qualifier. There's no clause. There's no as is uh, proper obedience. It, it simply is proper. It is how we are created. We are creatures. God is creator. But thinking in terms of the fifth commandment, and the authority which any person has in the home, in the workplace, or from the government, which is not the focus of our text, which is focused here on the everyday, but, but whatever authority it is between persons, it has this horizontal aspect to it. And so we're to give obedience as is fitting. We're to give proper obedience. And we remember that all authority, whoever has a position of authority, has it from God. And question and answer 104 says this at the end. Uh, For by their hand, God wills to rule us. And so the fact that the authority of a husband and the submission of a wife is on the horizontal uh, means that if the husband commands something which goes against God's will... The wife must obey God rather than man. That's the language that uh, Peter and the apostles used uh, in speaking to the governing authorities in Acts chapter 5. 
And uh, since we are dealing with a horizontal authority, that also means that the husbands, those who have the place of authority, need to hear their commands. Once again, this is different than, than God's authority. Okay? God, there's no command to God to love. God is love. God gives the commands. God defines what love is. There's nothing like that. But in the relationship between husband and wife, even though one is in authority and one is called to submit, they are both addressed. The husband must be addressed as well because he is a fellow human being. He is a fellow creature. And in the fall, he is also a fellow sinner. So he must know of his own weaknesses. He must hear his own command. And so that's verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. There's the positive command. There's that word love right there. And also on the negative, do not be harsh with them. Looking uh, first at that uh, positive side, see this, love is not an option. It is not something within the relationship of husband and wife who have made that vow together before witnesses, before God as witness. Love is not something a husband just does if he feels like it or if he has a certain feeling. This is a duty. Remember the words of our theme. Faithfully carry out God's orders. Something like, well, I just don't feel in love anymore, must not be part of the vocabulary of a Christian husband. Now, hopefully, there, there is a feeling of love and you cultivate a feeling of love, but love, God's commandment, does not depend upon your feelings. This is a command. This is a duty to carry out. It is not dependent upon how someone would feel. On the negative side, the command, do not be harsh. Receive this, husbands, realizing our own weaknesses. The husband has been given authority, but the husband is still a sinner. And what is the tendency of sinners who have authority? Well, the, the sinful tendency is that it is too easy to abuse that authority. And Apostle Paul simply says, do not do this. Do not be harsh with the authority that you have been given. Putting some of these things together we can note that while the husband does have authority, does have the final say, the exercise of the husband's authority on this horizontal level, both equally made in the image of God, husband and wife, male and female, should be what we might call a conversational authority. I'm going to read a lengthy quote from William Hendrickson to describe what this might look like. Uh, quote, it is true that the primary responsibility for the final decision with respect to a matter rests with the husband. But the method of reaching that decision leaves ample room for mutual deliberation and gentle persuasion 
in the course of which perhaps at times the husband's tentative conclusion may finally prevail and at other times the wife's, her husband having come to see that she was right. End of quote. It is not vertical authority. It is not absolute authority. It's conversational authority. Uh, and this is uh, from uh, the you know the church commentator who who greatly defended that yes the husband has authority and and passed away in the 80s having been an able defender of that truth uh, but he's the one who speaks about this kind of conversational authority and I think that's helpful for us may uh, the husband put this kind of leadership into practice as the wife also gives biblical submission as God calls for. Now there's more submission and authority in the home. It is not just husbands and, and, and wives, but children. Children must submit to their parents. This too is a submission in the Lord. And the Apostle Paul is constantly reminding us uh, all throughout this passage of Christ's preeminence overall. Uh, but here, how he says it specifically, is that it pleases the Lord when children obey their parents. This pleases God, our Creator. Indeed, God has such pleasure in this that it is the only one of the Ten Commandments which specifically adds a promise. And in the parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, the Apostle quotes from the, the Fifth Commandment and specifies that, Ephesians 6, 2 to 3. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So we stop here and we simply say this, children, do you hear that you are addressed directly in God's word? God's word is for each and every one of us and for each and every one of us at every age of our life, whether the youngest or the oldest. Do you hear that when your parents tell you to obey, it is not just your parents who have authority, but it is the word of our creator who has given parents that authority. It is your duty to obey mommy and daddy. Uh, just as it is the husband's duty to love, it doesn't matter what he feels like doing. So we say the same thing now to children. It doesn't matter if you feel like obeying mommy and daddy or not. You are called to obey. You are called to honor. Uh, honor includes more things than obedience, but certainly it begins in many ways with obedience. Now, those in authority again receive their own command. Verse 21, fathers, uh, or uh, that first word at 21 could perhaps be parents. Uh, the word fathers in the Greek is just like the word brothers. Brothers can refer to brothers and sisters. Fathers can refer to fathers and mothers. And so the command to parents and authority is this. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And I appreciate very much how one commentator put this. It is because of the nature 
of the full authority of parents where children don't have any say, they don't have any vote, it is because of this, it's because of the nature of the authority that the parents must be careful how that authority is exercised. And so uh, one commentator said this, quote, over severity can so crush the spirit that the child loses heart in the unequal struggle, end of quote. Be careful with the authority that has been given. Exercise it in love and wisdom. It is true that Proverbs speaks about the necessity of discipline. It speaks about using the rod of discipline lest the child become a fool. Proverbs 22, verse 15. But it is the apocryphal book, Ecclesiasticus, not to be confused with the book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes. It is the apocryphal book, Ecclesiasticus, which says that a father should whip his son often. Proverbs does not say that. Proverbs says that the rod of discipline is necessary, but the very structure of Proverbs emphasizes the importance of teaching, of reproving, of training. And so uh, that's both the, the structure of Proverbs as a whole and highlighted in individual verses such as Proverbs 3 verse 12 which reminds us that that is how God deals with his people with reproof. And so the common mode of parenthood should be the mode of teaching, the mode of training. Uh, the parent should be diligent in teaching first and then using the rod only when necessary. And so there's this difficult task of wisdom. Enough discipline so as not to spoil or make fools, but not too much severity so as to provoke in the unequal struggle. And surely this is one of those moments when we stand back and we say, submission is hard, leadership is is harder. That balance of wisdom and loving leadership is a difficult calling. Well, now let's come to our second point, the second place of the everyday in the workplace. Question answer 104 speaks of the most basic human authority, the authority of parents, and that's what's specifically mentioned right in the fifth commandment. Uh, but the question and answer also adds this, and all those in authority over me. And the most commonly, uh, the, the authority which most commonly impacts us from day to day, other than the home, would be the workplace. And that was true then, it is still true today. Now, in the days of the Apostle Paul in the Roman Empire, the basic structure was that of slaves and masters. It was, in ancient Rome, a system with many levels, and uh, it was often not as bad as the American slavery, which was finally abolished in the 1800s. And I think that this is partially expressed uh, when the ESV uses the word bond servants instead of slaves. Uh, but you could translate the word slave 
and it was a structure which could be very cruel and unjust. But despite the imperfections, despite the injustices of the system of labor in ancient Rome, it was the system of the day, and Paul begins with this command, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Now there could be a number of objections to this. What about the fact that the system could sometimes be very unjust? I mean, it, in, in this system, uh, it, uh, it could be you know, what we might call bond-servant-servant relationship, but I, it, it was also slave relationship. You know, people treated as, as cattle kind of a thing and chained up. And, and so we say, you know, what about the fact that this could be a very unjust system? And uh, what about the fact that we know at least one time Paul strongly encouraged, almost commanded a Christian master to free his slave. Does this not mean that the slaves, the bondservants of ancient Rome should have risen up against their masters? Well, brothers and sisters, there, there are some matters of justice on this earth which go beyond the scope of a single sermon right here on this text. But the short answer is no. And the bondservants are not only called to serve, but they are called to serve well. Do your service, not for man, but for God. Serve as to the Lord. Serve with sincerity of heart. Verse 22, not with eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. If we think about the context of, of the workplace today, uh, those, those kinds of words still apply. We might think of a clock, white, clock watcher. We might uh, think of the one who just does the bare minimum or who only works well when the eyes of the supervisor are right on him. Uh, this, is, this is all something which the Apostle Paul says, no, 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 no. And uh, certainly if he says no in the context where bondservants had little or no rights, where bondservants had no wages uh, unless their master chose to give them some, uh, certainly in a context where we work with wages and employee-employer systems, then all the much more ought we to carry out uh, the apostles' commands for diligent labor. But I also want us to see this. Remember, whatever you're doing, you're doing for the Lord. So this also brings us back to, well, what if my work is not in the workplace? We'll just look back at verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or in deed. So maybe your work is as a student or maybe your work is in the context of the home or uh, whatever it is or maybe you're not able to work anymore and uh, your, uh, your calling is to be faithful in whatever you have the strength yet to do. Uh, all of these things we, we say but we come back to this and we look at verses 22 and 23 and I, uh, I want you to imagine that you're a servant in ancient Rome and you're one of the servants who has no wage. You're a bondservant. You work. You have no reward. You have no uh, light at the end of the tunnel. There's no, I can retire when I turn X age. Uh, there's no paycheck coming at the end of two weeks or whatever it is. You, you just work. 
You are, you are a bondservant. You are a slave. Now, what is the motivation to work in such a setting? Now, look at how pastorally the Apostle Paul addresses those people. He says, remember that you're working for the Lord. And again, that applies to each one of us still to this day. Whatever we're doing, let us do it for the Lord. And remember that your reward is an eternal inheritance. That's the language in verses 22 and 23. Bond servants almost never had any wage and almost never certainly had any inheritance. The Apostle Paul is saying, you work for the Lord knowing that He is your master. And, and what, is, what, is the, what is the wage and the reward when we're serving Christ? Well, the wage that we deserve is death. The wages of sin is death. But what has Christ done? He's taken that wage. He's taken that death which we deserve and He's taken it upon Himself. And He's died on the cross for our sins. And instead of that wage of eternal death which we deserve, He has instead given us, as we repent, as we trust in Him, He's given us the inheritance of eternal life. Certainly that is motivation to work. Whether you have no wage or little wage or, or much earthly wages, uh, well, now let's put it this way. Maybe you have much earthly wages, so you're tempted to work for that. Well, now the Apostle Paul, what would he say? He'd say, no, don't focus on that. Focus on the fact that you're laboring for the Lord in everything. He is the one who's taking your punishment. He is the one who gives you the internal inheritance. Here, then, is the motivation to work and to work well. This is the command to God's people. And what about the wrongdoer? Uh, what if, and it doesn't matter how badly the servant is treated, uh, it doesn't matter what the circumstances of your life are, whatever excuses you have to be, quote, mad at the world, uh, whatever, whatever circumstance one is in, when they refuse to give good service, when there's only a proud and bitter heart, if there's no repentance of sin, if, if that's how someone is working through, laboring through this world, well, that, that is the wrongdoer. That is the one who will be judged by God. And there is no partiality. End of verse 25. Notice that the masters have not yet been addressed. Uh, throughout this text, whenever the Apostle Paul changes who he's addressing, he puts that word right on front. Right? So wives is the first word of verse 18. Husbands is the first word of verse 19. 20 is the, or children is the first word of verse 20. Well, bond servants have the, the longer list. Okay? Masters are not yet addressed until 4 verse 1. What does that mean? Say that you're someone who's had all kinds of oppression. Say that you're one of the bond servants who's a slave, who's chained up, no wages, unfair treatment. You have all kinds of reasons to be mad at the world. Do you have a free pass? Can you just do whatever you want, say whatever you want, work in whatever way you want because you've suffered so much? No. No. The wrongdoer, speaking in the context of the unjust system, 
of ancient Rome, addressing not the masters but the slaves, Paul says there's no partiality. Now we know that this applies the other way. This applies to masters as well. In fact, in the parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, Paul uses the same phrase, no partiality, when he's addressing the masters. So we know it goes both ways. But don't miss this. There's no free pass for anybody. Whether you've been placed in difficult situations or, or, or elevated up with, with all kinds of, of earthly uh, blessings, there, there's no free pass. We all are called to repent, to trust, to serve God, to labor for Him, to labor for His glory. Now, of course, it is balanced. Again, Paul uses that language of no partiality, addressing the masters in Ephesians 6. And uh, even right here in our text, as he briefly addresses the masters, how does he end it? He reminds them, you also have a master in heaven. It is balanced. Uh, the, the poor, uh, the uh, mistreated, they don't have a free pass to be angry at the world, to be angry at God. The, the rich, the elevated, the master, they do not have a free pass to be angry at God or to serve themselves or to forget that they have a master in heaven. The, the teaching of the Apostle Paul emphasizes personal responsibility to each and every one of us. And so I say now, each and every one of us, whatever our earthly position, whatever our earthly struggles or blessings, repent. Believe and trust in God alone. Hear the, the balanced address to each one of us. You know, in, in ancient Rome, in the past, there, there was a tendency to blame everything on wives or slaves. And because of the structure of, of power, uh, they, those in positions of authority could largely get away with that. What do we have in the present? Well, in the present, there's this attempt to blame everything on society, on an environment, on the place that you're in. And so critical theory seeks to divide everything into oppressed and oppressor. And then it is not personal responsibility but position which defines if someone is right or wrong. And so whoever is labeled as oppressed is automatically right. This is unbiblical thinking. The Bible calls each and every person in whatever situation they're in to personal responsibility. God addresses everyone. We all stand before him. As sinners, we all stand before him with responsibilities that will take different shapes and sizes, but whatever that responsibility is, it is to be directed in service to the Lord who is preeminent over all. Give thanks for this balance of the Apostle Paul and God's holy word. Hear that personal responsibility that each and every one of us has and as we come to our conclusion, certainly we consider these wonderful but difficult duties 
And it's difficult, whether it's the authority side or the submission side, it's difficult to carry it out. We consider these difficult duties giving thanks that we do it all under the banner of the absolute authority of God. And there's the perfect exercise of authority. How does Jesus Christ exercise his authority? Does he domineer? Does he dominate? No, he stoops down. He has authority over the church. And what did he do? He died for the church. It is loving, sacrificial leadership. And so uh, all that we do, we remember that we're doing it under the banner of that king, that savior, Jesus Christ. In the home, in the workplace, anywhere else, let us fulfill our duties faithfully to the Lord. For his glory. Amen. Let us pray.